Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, here we are for another hour of fun with Scripture. Well, I think it's fun. Anyway, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let us go to the big book on the coffee table. Let us begin with the first reading. This is from Jeremiah. We talked about who Jeremiah was. (laughs) And he was not a bullfrog, as the song says. Jeremiah 17, the fifth verse to the tenth. Cursed is the man who trusts in human beings. Well, that's... That's really something. Uh, cursed is the man who trusts human beings. I thought we were supposed to be trusting. Uh, um, this. Let's pull up a verse from the New Testament. Uh, uh, the uh, Jesus didn't trust people. What? Oh yeah, it's it's in the Bible. You know, the big book on the coffee table. John two twenty five. He did not, Jesus did not entrust himself to them for he knew all. Uh, he did not need any testimony about man. He knew what, what was a man. Jesus did not trust people. What? No, he didn't. He knew it was in their hearts. But you're supposed to trust people. We do all these trust exercises. Well, look at the reading. Let's, let's, let's look at the, this is Bible. Cursed is the man who trusts in human beings, who sinks his strength in flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. I've told you this before, that to expect from a human being what you can only get from God is idolatry. We read at the end of this reading, uh, very interestingly, uh, more tortuous than all is. In other words, that means twisted. That's what the word, I should look that word up. It'll be the word of the day. More More tortuous than all else is the human heart. I don't trust me. Seriously. You say, I would never do a thing like that. Then you get in the right situation, and guess what? You do something really wrong. Um, what's a good example? Well, you can think of one from your own life that you thought you would never stoop to such a thing or never say that or never think that. Um, well, guess what? You don't even know what's in your own heart. To expect from a human being 
what you can only get from God is idolatry. We expect our friends to be perfect, our parents to be perfect, our spouses to be perfect, our children to be perfect, and we are so disappointed when they aren't. Shouldn't be disappointed in them, should be disappointed in ourselves. We're committing idolatry by expecting divine perfection from people we know, even the clergy. You know, to a de- I mean, to a degree, you trust people. You got to trust people. Will you? Will you? Uh, will you uh, uh, watch this until I get back? I mean, you trust people in that sense. But when they let you down, don't be disappointed. You've been warned. I know that this sounds harsh, but it's true. To expect what we can only get from God, from a human being, is an idolatry. That said, let's go to the gospel, which is a great fun gospel. <clears throat> you know, Jesus talks to different people. And and uh, later on, I'm going to jump into this, uh, I, I hope. Uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, stop there. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were a religious political party. They were not clergy. They were a, a group of people who swore to uh, um, uh, uphold all of the laws of the Torah and the rabbinical interpretations that applied to them. For instance, they would you must wash your hands before eating. Well, the rabbi said, the different rabbis said that you must use an eggshell and a half worth of water. Well, that's Phariseeism. You didn't use an eggshell and a half of water to wash your hands. You're breaking the law. They added to the law. They were scrupulous about the law. And they were considered heroic because they preserved the identity of the people at a time when their identity was in great danger. They preserved their identity by preserving their faithfulness to the 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 truth of the law, uh, the truth of the scriptures, and to their faith. Heroic people. And uh, when we use the word Pharisee, we, we use it sort of interchangeably, interchangeably with hypocrite. That is, that is absolutely wrong. Uh, we should not do that. The, any modern Jew you meet, be he Orthodox, conservative, Reformed, or even Reconstructionist, um, they are theologically the descendants of the Pharisees. And uh, Phariseeism created in the synagogue and in the observance of the law a way to be an Israelite without the temple. Uh, and they preserved uh, what we call Judaism. So Pharisees, nice people. What he's saying to the Pharisees, the Pharisees contrast them with the Sadducees, many of whom were clergy. The Sadducees were a smaller political party, but they were wealthier They dominated the temple, the priestly families, those families descended from Aaron, the sacrificing priestly families, were generally Sadducees in the Sadducee party. The Sadducees believed only in the first five books of the Bible. They did not believe the prophetic books. They didn't believe the historical books were inspired. They didn't believe in life after death or resurrection. Uh, They were um, devoted to the law, and they believed that the law was absolutely binding on the priestly families, and they didn't care much, really, for the rest of Israel. You know, we'll, you pay, pray, and obey. We'll, we'll take care of religion. So that was the Sadducees. The high priest's families were Pharisee or were Sadducees. 
Now, this back in order to understand this gospel, you got to understand the historical background of it. Herod the Great did not allow one person to dominate the high priesthood. The high priesthood was a life assignment. If you were a high priest, you were a high priest for your whole life. And you were supposed to be a descendant of Zadok, who, um, who was high priest uh, for Solomon and David and back in the establishment of the temple. Uh, so the, the, the Pharisees, that's probably where the name comes from, the Zadokim. Well, the high priests were not descendants of Zadok. They were descendants of, of, well, for a while, the Maccabees, until Herod managed to kill all the Maccabees. And then he appointed high priests, and he wouldn't allow a high priest to stay in office for too long. And Herod, I believe Herod, kept the vestments of the high priest. You see, the high priest didn't go into the temple every day and sacrifice. He was more of a political figure than a religious figure. He would preside over the the high holidays and the great pilgrimage feasts and the great moments of of uh, temple ritual but the day-to-day work of the temple was conducted by members of this of the descendants of Aaron the sons of Aaron the, the priestly families and when the high priest was not using the vestments they were kept by the government i believe herod kept them certainly the romans kept them and they would have to humbly go to the government to get the high priestly vestments so the high priest could officiate and and the important feasts. And the reason was that that was the government expressing its control over the temple. There was this tension between these priests and the temple. And there was a fellow named Anas or Hananiah. And Hananiah, was, he was brilliant. He was high priest, and then he had all five of his sons being high priest, and his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was high priest. Uh, the last of his sons, Theophilus, was, uh, uh, was a... Uh, 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 probably uh, the Theophilus to whom the book of Luke and the book of Acts are addressed to, uh, Your Excellency Theophilus. So this was this was how Annas and his five sons and his son-in-law dominated the the temple and kept the revenues coming in. They had they had control over the concessions. You had to if you came from a distant place to. To offer sacrifice, the high priest would certainly find something wrong with the sacrifice. Has a bent leg. Has clearly this is a defective beast. Well, I have to offer sacrifice. I have to buy back my son uh, of, with the law of of uh, redemption. Where do I get a kosher approved sacrificial victim? Oh, oh, out out in the outer courts in the bazaars of Annas, you can get certified kosher uh, animals. And they were at. Triple prices. They were outrageously expensive. And so the family of Annas was making a fortune from temple sales. Talmud speaks so poorly of Annas and his shyster relatives. So there you go. Good old Annas the high priest. He is um, uh, 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 controlling the, the revenues of the temple. There was a rich man, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, who were, who were inimical, who were opposed to the Sadducees. Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, there was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. Purple garments and fine linen? Sounds like he's describing the high priest's vestments. And lying at the door was a poor man, Lazarus. And it turns out that, that uh, 
Lazarus goes to heaven and 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 um, the bosom of Abraham. In other words, he's he's right next to Abraham, and uh, this this uh, rich man is in the flames, and he says, "I have five brothers back home." Jesus is dissing, as we would say, the high priest and his family, the five brothers. This is a joke. People agonize over this. I've heard people make uh, whole whole uh, uh, theological arguments about how you can't uh, pray to saints because there is an inseparable chasm, a, a, a great chasm established to prevent anyone from crossing. So we can't pray. I've actually heard that argument. We can't pray to saints because they're in heaven with the Lord and there's this great chasm. This is a joke. This is a funny story. I maintain there are lots of funny stories in the scriptures. And we don't get the funny stories because uh, uh, it's hard to tell a joke in another language. And it's hard to tell a joke that's 2,000 years old. Um, But there are lots of jokes in the scriptures. And I maintain that the parables... Many of them are funny stories. Uh, so that said, uh, I want to kind of talk about the currently popular uh, TV series, uh, The Chosen, which I think 99% is wonderful. And it portrays Jesus as having a, a sense of humor. But I was with some dear friends last night watching uh, uh, an episode I'd seen before. And, of course, it was the Sermon on the Mount the sermon, I, I I understand that I really like The Chosen, and I think it's very good. I think the, the walking on the water, I'm not going to, no spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you about it, but the scene uh, in the third season, walking on the water, is breathtakingly beautiful, even as art. It's, it's profound. It is magnificent. Let's get back to the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is a disaster in the, the series The Chosen. <clears throat> there are talking about the sermon. Jesus is nervous about the sermon. He goes off at night not to pray, but to prepare the sermon. And he asks people after the sermon, what did you think of the sermon? They set up a stage with curtains so he can come out to give the sermon. I don't think Jesus did it that way. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he spoke from his heart and his mind the words of his Father. I don't think he had to worry about it. Now, my point in this, uh, which I will ultimately get to, is uh, um, we don't read the Bible. Evangelicals don't read the Bible. What? No, we don't. We don't really read it. We read a children's Bible when we were when we were seven years old, and that image sticks in our mind. I always say everybody knows there was a Persian carpet at the Last Supper because it's in the Da Vinci painting. Of course, it isn't in the Da Vinci painting, but you understand what I mean. People think it was in the Da Vinci painting, but uh, uh, no way. Uh, we, we sort of have this idea, and all of us know that Jesus went up the mountain and stood on the top of the mountain, and the people gathered around him, and he gave the Sermon on the Mount. Read the Bible, Matthew 5.1. And I was I, I was shocked at, at, at the, the, the chosen that... that it was so unbiblical. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. Did the crowd come to him? No. His disciples came to him. You always see Jesus standing there preaching with his arms outstretched and the people uh, gathered around him like some train of some great garment. 
He sat. Why did he sit? When a, when, a, when a rabbi taught his disciples solemnly, he sat. Jesus could not have been heard had he been standing on the top of a mountain talking to a great multitude. Sitting, he could be heard by those close to him, his disciples. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? Because we need to read the Bible, not to assume that we've read the Bible and we know what it's about. Oh, I have a hard time reading the Bible. I can only read a little at a time. Good. Only read a little at a time. Read the words. Ask what the words mean. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What, what does blessed mean? It's a word that means favored. You know, the favored are the poor in spirit. Uh, uh, favored are those who are pure in heart. Favored are the persecuted. And you can ponder that for hours, for days, for a life. That every word of Scripture is is filled with meaning, uh, you know that 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 we just sort of assume that we know this, but we're kind of remembering what we read when we were little kids, or what our grandmothers told us, or what we saw in the movies. And you know, I think that the Chosen is wonderful. It's delightful backstory, uh, backstories to all of these um, <clears throat> biblical characters. The way they humanize Judas, I think, is wonderful. Uh, uh, but I can see people years from now saying, well, everyone knows that Matthew uh, was, was autistic. Well, he's portrayed as autistic in The Chosen, and it's really a very interesting portrayal. But it's not Bible. You know? And I think the, the, the producers of, of The Chosen would agree with me in this. This should encourage you to go to your Bibles and really, really Meet the characters of Scripture. That said, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go to a break. We'll come back with some letters, and the the uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We will be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash UDallas. He gives me peace, joy, and love, love and freedom, freedom in, in my soul. Jesus' love has brought me out, his love has made me whole. Well, I spent most of my life living in the ways of sin. I had no happiness inside. This is no true. I, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's true. I mean, Jesus gives you freedom. You know, people think that, that we Christians are not free. We have all these rules. Oh, no, we're free. We're free men in a world of slaves, that, that everybody's a slave to their passions and their desires and their prejudices and their preferences, he said. <laughs> Knowing people understood what he meant. Well, this is the way God made me. You know, I prefer being drunk all the time. <sighs> you can be free. This is about freedom. But, you know, you know why it's about freedom? Because freedom is the one necessary thing for love. If I have to love you, I can't love you. If, if, if love, sacrificial love, is the purpose of human life, freedom is the only necessary thing for human life. 
If I if I'm not free, that's why the devil wants to keep us slaves to our passions and our our prejudices and our our preferences. Again, you know that 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 I can't help it. This is the way I am. Oh, you can't help it. Let's let's talk about. Oh, I'm off. I'm way off the topic, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Anger. I can't. You know. Let's not. My preference is to be angry. Okay. Anger, you know, you see this all the time. Taking a plane ride these days, you're probably going to get punched by someone who's not happy. Well, I can't help it. I just get angry. You can help it. I've said about 120,000 times, a habit of vice is only overcome by a habit of virtue. If you develop the habit when you feel yourself getting angry of taking a deep breath and as you let it go, just saying quietly to yourself, Jesus, I trust in you. Let's everybody do that. Let's have the whole nation right now take a deep breath. And as you let it out, just say, Jesus, I trust in you. It's like a sedative. It's wonderful. But it's got to become a habit. If you develop a habit of virtue to take the place of a habit of vice, you can conquer vice. And if you don't do it, that's because you enjoy the vice. Said I give? Said I give. Give him a said I give. Oh, that was cute. The voice of my head threw in something from young Frankenstein. All right. But this idea of, of I can't do anything about it. Are you sure you can't do anything about it? Or do you not want to do anything about it? There's nothing as wonderful as baptized anger. I'm way off the topic, but that's all right. We live in an era in an era in which we have sanctified anger. It is such a wonderful feeling to be angry and to feel pious about it. I'm angry at people who don't do this. I'm angry at people who 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 believe it's wrong to pluck the the wings off flies. Uh, fill, fill in the blank. We live in an angry time in history, but it's a, the virtue of anger. Anger is never a virtue. It's a vice. It's an addiction. And uh, the seven deadly sins are deadly not because they are what we call mortal sins, but because they are addictions. We become addicted to money. We become addicted to food. We become addicted to doing nothing. Uh, we become addicted to anger. And if I can, if I can say, yeah, but my anger is holy anger. My anger is righteous anger. I threw that Molotov cocktail into that into that uh, um, store because, well, they deserved it, and I'm virtuous in my anger. That's utter, complete nonsense. If you do not want to do something about your anger or your sloth or your or your lust or pick pick one of the seven, pride, avarice, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth, pick one of them and, and say, I don't want to do anything about it. Well, then you're guilty of it. So this is the whole deal. Uh, um, I don't know why I'm talking about this. But we become free, and the fasting of Lent is to help make us free. So that's why we do this. All right, well, let's move along here. Let's go to letters. I had fun with that tirade. It's fun being angry. I'm No, 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 I wasn't angry, no. All right, this is from Sarah from Minnesota. When the devil tempted Jesus in the desert, could he only see Jesus in his humanity and not in his divinity? If the devil knew or could see that Jesus was God, why would he tempt him? You know, I have heard, and I, I keep meaning to ask an exorcist friend about this, but I have heard that there is a theory that the devil doesn't know he's beaten. Devil doesn't know he's beaten. And 
the devil, you know, the this is the theory. Again, the theory. Take it with, you ready, voice my take it with a grain of salt. That there you go, there's a salt shaker. That that uh Jesus, or rather the devil fell from heaven when he heard God's plan, the Father's plan, to have his son incarnated as a human being for love of human beings. When the devil knew how exalted human beings were, he gave up on God. I mean, compared to the devil, who am I? The devil is not omniscient, but he might as well be as far as I'm concerned. The devil is immortal. Uh, the devil is is powerful and strong and big and scary and you know I'm I'm nothing compared to the devil if you use uh, uh, the 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 categories of fallen humanity. There you go, the devil. The devil. C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters has the devil calling us the human vermin. It's as if God the Father had, at least from the devil's perspective. That God the Father said, my son is going to be incarnated as a worm. What? I thought you were God. You must not be God. It was, in a sense, the sin of Judas. That I thought this guy was the Messiah and, and, and he worked miracles. It probably was just crowd hysteria. He's not the Messiah. He's going to get us all killed. The devil, I really think, gave up on believing that God was God. And so the devil knew that that remember there were lots of gods. Gods were not uh, all powerful. Gods were immortal but not eternal. There's a difference in those two words. So you know, the gods feh. Well, the devil decided somehow that God wasn't wasn't all that. And so he could see the divinity of Jesus. He knew that we see him, we, we, clear, we clearly see the devils acknowledging Jesus as son of God, but so big deal. So he was God. God wasn't all that. And that's our attitude in the world. God, God has said, you must not do this. Well, who the heck is God to tell me what I should do? God owns you. He created you. No, he doesn't. I own me. You see, we, we fall into the devil's trap by thinking, yeah, maybe there's a God, but so big deal. If there's a God, as, as Voltaire said, he will forgive. It is his business. Hmm. Uh, who wish Voltaire was right? But I don't think so. So I hope that answers the question. Uh, that, that, that The devil had more trouble, more problems with Jesus' humanity than he did, I think, with his divinity. We, we, we see frequently in the New Testament that the devil calls Jesus the Son of God, but never the Son of Man. If God will just mind his own business and stay in heaven... Because the world belongs to me, the devil says. Well, guess what? It doesn't. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. All right. So I hope that helps a little with that. And if I can get my cursor to... There we go. I got it. All right. I'm getting better at it. All right. Now we got... Uh... Let me look at the clock. Let me do another letter. Um, oh, good grief. I better... Well, let's see. <clears throat> Good grief. Good grief, Charlie. This is from Timothy in L.A. Why during the Mass are so many of the laity raising their arms in the Oran's posture during the Our Father? When did this start? Always I thought the gesture to be used in liturgy only by the priest when pronouncing prayers on behalf of the faithful. Outside of the liturgy, we can raise our arms and stand on our heads. Amen. Sounds like a good prayer meeting. To praise we choose. But to use the gestures proper to the priest celebrating the Mass, don't we run the risk of making ourselves co-celebrants? 
You know, this is not the hill I want to die on, as they say, but in a way you're right. In the old Mass, um, the priest stood in for the person of Christ, and it was Christ interceding on behalf of the people with his hands lifted. And and uh, the bride did not lift her hands, in other words, the congregation. Um, that started with the, the Pentecostal movement. I blame myself that we, we it just is a spontaneous expression of prayer, like a child reaching up to his or her father or mother. So it's it's that spontaneous gesture of of of, of, of worship of of reaching up to the Father. That's what it came from, and it just bled over into the mass. I I, I certainly my my spirituality was greatly affected by the Pentecostal movement, and and I have. No doubts that there was a great it was a great blessing in my life. However, it was very poorly pastored because we, the clergy, didn't want to get involved with it. You know, we went to enough meetings; uh, we didn't need a prayer meeting too. So, um, you know, it was poorly pastored, and so you, you didn't have the teaching that you should have. And uh, you know, charismatic people, people who say I'm in the charismatic movement. They ended up wanting spontaneous masses and structured prayer meetings, and they never understood the difference between mass and a prayer meeting. Mass is the structured, sacrificial celebration of a covenant with God. It is, it is, it is very methodically built. <laughs> a prayer meeting, the best prayer meeting I've ever heard was it was a uh, prayer meeting was a spontaneous uh, a, a gathering of the people for the free exercise of the gifts of God. Two different things. All right. And, and you know, if you want to have people say, I want to have a charismatic mass, I always say, I, I only know how to offer Catholic ones. So, of course, I, I repent of the sins of my youth and stupidity, of which there were many. All right. I hope that helps. Let's go to a break. We're going to come back with the word of the day and phone calls. Battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. As I went down in the valley to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Come on, fathers, and let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, fathers, and let's go down, down in the valley to pray. Love this song. I went down in the, uh, the version I heard started with, I went down in the river to pray, but beautiful. Study the good old way. Yeah, I can. Voice in my head. I can pray anywhere. All right, let's go to the word of the day. All right, the word of the day is tortuous. What does tortuous mean? I have not said, boy, are you tortuous. I never use that word. Someday they're going to translate the Bible into English. But till then, you've got me making things up. I mean, translating it into English for you. Let us see what the Hebrew word is. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, it says that the heart is, let me, let me make sure I'm getting the right word here. Uh, it says, the, the more tortuous than is the human heart. That's the first word in the text. So let us, where did we go? Where did I put the text? Okay. The word is, is haleb. And that word haleb means, uh, um, 
It means, uh, oh, no, no, that's that's the word for heart, the inner man. Sorry. Never mind. Pay no attention to that man behind the microphone. Let me get back to this. Uh, the first word in the text is akob, uh, and that, that word means uh, insidious, deceitful, tracked by footprints. That's kind of interesting. It means crooked. When you're tracking some animal, the animal is devious. It goes into different ways. So, so the word really means uh, deceitful, uh, full of plots. Uh, uh, we're full of plots. and People are. You know, we're always looking at the bottom line. What's in this for me? That kind of thing. Uh, so uh, it's a powerful word. And the human heart is, is tortuous. It, in other words, it, it twists. That's what the word tort means in English. It twisted. The human heart twists. You know, I'm always looking to see what's in this for me. And, and I, my motivations... Uh, constantly need examination. That said, let's go to phone calls. Hello, Ghostbusters. Well, not these days. All right, let's go to Wayne from Antioch, California. Wayne, what can I do for you? Hello, Wayne? Hey, paper. Hello? Yes, yes, go can on. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. What can I do for you, Wayne? Okay. I was reading an article in my Sunday paper. It was an outdoor section, and it was about a, a state park near the coast. And in the middle of this article, it starts quoting a, a book from a Martin Rizzo Martinez, a historian, and he's talking about how the native people kept such good care of their area. And then it has this paragraph. The Catholic Church's establishment of Mission Santa Cruz in 1791 destroyed those ways of life and carefully nurtured environment. Tribes people were enticed and coerced into the Spanish mission and then enslaved. And then it goes on to talk about how terrible, uh, uh, you know, that, that the church was. So I'm looking for some, some other materials that might uh, tell a little different story about, about this that I could maybe write a letter to the editor. Do you have any suggestions? Oh, gosh, where's a good, good literate source? Um, such things exist. But I think that the... The, the idealization of indigenous life forgets that they too had slaves. Um, they, they were, uh, they also were brutal. We look at the, at the human sacrifices of, uh, of, of indigenous Americans. It's, it's said that 60,000 people uh, a year died on the altars of Mexico and Central America, half of them children. You know, I wish I cannot think of a, a good book on this. If anybody listening knows a good book, call in and let me know, uh, and I'll try to answer Wayne's problem. But Wayne, you're absolutely right. You know, the Spanish, as all people, some of the Spanish who came to the New World came with the best intentions, such as the monks, and then others came with not such good intentions. Uh, a Franciscan, I think it was a Franciscan, came up to Francisco Pizarro in Peru and said, um, we're not doing enough to convert the Indians. And Pisado said to him, I didn't come to convert them. I came to take their gold. So there were good and bad people in this, just as there were good and bad people in every, in every age. And they, they, they came to the new world with mixed motives. That's true. 
Did they improve the life of the indigenous people or not? Nine out of ten indigenous people, it is estimated nine out of ten, died when Europe made contact with America. But that was inadvertent. It was through disease. But if you look at the way of life of many of the indigenous people, it was a very brutal way of life, just as life was for European people. It's, this is a very complex thing, and one can, one can spend a lifetime studying it. However, I think you are correct in, in, in saying that, that uh, it isn't that simple, that they came and ruined the Native Americans' lives. The Native Americans had no problem ruining their own lives. I mean, they were not this kind of united, happy, ecological people. Uh, in fact, is uh, the southwestern Native Americans they they destroyed that that uh, you know in in the high country Arizona that area they they completely destroyed the ecology and you know they cut down every tree they could and they they destroyed the ecology. This idea that somehow they lived in harmony with them it just isn't so. Um, they were human beings, no less, no more human than the Europeans who encountered them. So it really is a both and. Um, we want to say the church, uh, the, you know, the church is one thing, but we the members of the church, quite another, that the members of the church were were wonderful and innocent. Some were, some weren't. I, I don't know how else to put it to you. If anyone has a source, a good source, uh, defending the missions, um, I would be interested to hear it. And, Wayne, I will mention it on the air. So I, I, I wish I could be of more help. But, you know, I think that we have to have uh, uh, a kind of dispassionate view of it uh, in terms of our own involvement as followers of Christ. And uh, it isn't as bad as the people who hate the faith say, uh, but it isn't as good as apologists for the faith uh, would like it to be. I hope that helps. So, golly. Okay, <laughs> well, Wayne. I'll keep listening. Keep listening, and I'll do my best to, to, to do some research on it. Uh, you could send me a, uh, an email at Relevant Radio, and I'll, I'll um, uh, that will remind me to keep looking. Thanks, Wayne. God bless. Thank you. Let's go go to God bless, Bule, God bless you. Let's go to Bule from Kissimmee, Florida. Kissimmee. I said it right because I I've, I've got a lot of friends there. Kissimmee. Yes. Good afternoon. How are you, how are you, Father Simon? Good. Tell me you're Puerto Rican, right? Uh, no, I'm Hispanic, but I'm not Puerto Rican. Oh, Kissimmee's full of Puerto Ricans, though. <laughs> yes, it is, yes. Oh, yes, it's uh, I bendito. <laughs> it's, yes. uh, Puerto Ricans, they're, they're, Kissimmee has got more Puerto Ricans than San Juan, I think. But what can I do for your bully? Father Simon, I'm having a, 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 a situation in a ministry that I participate. Yes. And I know that you can help me on this. Okay. I'm going to try to simplify my questions. That will give me the answer. The first one, I would like to know, when does the transubstantiation happen? Exactly the moment that it happens. When does it happen? Well, what I was told in seminary was when the priest said this, hoc est enum corpus man, this is indeed my body, and hic est enum calix, this is indeed the chalice, that when the word this was said, I don't know why they came to that conclusion. Problem is, you got to remember, for God, time, there's no such thing as time. That God, uh, all, all moments are now, uh, all, all places are here. It's like, when does the word, uh, when does the word, uh, um, uh, uh, let's, let's, what's in a random word, uh, capital, when does the word a capital appear in the book? 
it appears for the first time on page 92 uh, in the third paragraph down. God sees this eternally, the moment of consecration. We want to put it in time. And the, the, what they come up with was what the theologians and liturgists came up with was when the word this comes out of the mouth of the priest. You could argue, is it on the T, the H, or the I in Latin? Is it on the H? Is it on the E in Spanish? Etes el cáliz de mi sangre. You know, that kind of thing. This. So does that help at all? This brings me to the second question. Okay. What, what happened if the priest says, this is my body, and then he faints? Yes. The bread right now is, is the body. And the blood. But is the wine? Yeah, but the wine. Is the wine nope. the blood or the wine is still wine? The wine is still wine, but but the the remember we believe in something called con. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, concomitance happens with the first this of the mass. Did was that live? Your voice, man. Oh, the voice of my head just. When does concomitance happen? We believe in concomitance. In other words, the bread symbolizes the body of Christ, but it becomes the body and blood of Christ. The cup symbolizes the blood of Christ, but it becomes the body and blood of Christ. So, if you can only receive the host. At communion, you've received the body and blood of the Lord. If you can only drink from the chalice because you have some celiac disease or something, uh, you have received the body and blood of the Lord. Both are both. One symbolizes one, one symbolizes the other, but both become both. So Christ is present at the first mention of the word this in our in our under, our understanding. I think we'll see it completely differently from the throne of heaven. However... Uh, if 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 the priest fails to say the words of consecration over the chalice, and if he if he willingly does it, it's a serious sin. If he unwillingly does it, say he faints or being old like me, he forgets. Well, that isn't a serious sin because he didn't intend it. But if, one, if a priest does that willingly, uh, it's a serious sin. So, uh, yeah, that 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 the words of consecration and the intention of the church must be said over bread. And then over wine. Does that answer that question? Yep. So if he doesn't consecrate the wine, the wine is still wine. Still wine. Exactly. Father Simon, thank you very much indeed. And bendición. Que Dios le bendiga, mi hijo. Señor, all my Puerto Rican friends in Kissimmee. God bless you. I will. Let's go to Tasha from New Jersey. Are you with us? What can I do for you, Tasha? I wanted to know if in the past, The Jews used to refer to themselves as what tribe they came from, like Esther from the tribe of Benjamin and Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Do they still do that now? Only the tribe of Levi and the tribe of Judah. That you've only got two tribes identifying themselves. And where do they do that? Only in the synagogue? In the synagogue. Well, they do it generally. I remember a friend of mine who... uh, 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 he was not. He was a Reformed Jew, and he fell in love with a Greek Orthodox girl in the Charismatic movement. <laughs> she, boy, she was sold out to God. She, she was really something. <laughs> well, the uh, the uh, um, uh, he was a Levite, and he could only pass his Levitical uh, inheritance on to his son if the woman he married was a Jew, uh, was was mm-hmm. either from tribe of Levi or tribe of Judah, and he was very. Torn by it. Well, they did marry, and they had a girl. <laughs> so the okay. point was moved. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, this was a reality with which he lived. He was a Levite, 
And if, you're, if oh, your last okay. name is Cohen or Cogan or Kaplan, you are descended from Aaron and are a, a priestly sacrificer. Uh, you offer sacrifice. Oh, okay. So there. Does that answer the question? Yes, it did. And, I, you know, I listen to you all the time, not Catholic, and I was thinking about going back to the Catholic religion, but the call you just had, they were talking about the indigenous, indigenous species or Native Americans. Yeah, yeah. There's a show that's out now that's called 1923. Yeah. And it shows how the priests, you know, really abuse uh, the Indians. Yeah. And um, so if you bring up anything that to say that, no, this didn't happen or, you know. No, it did. It, no, it, it did. Bad things happened. Bad, of, bad things it, happened. It did change. It did change my mind. <laughs> it did change yeah. my father to go back to the Catholic religion. Um because uh, it, it just shows how bad they treated those the, the Indians. On the it's other hand, so let us well, well. Let me let me let me comment on this. The the uh, Hispanic and French uh, invaders of the Americas actually mm-hmm. believed that Native Americans were people who had souls and had rights, whereas mm-hmm. people from Northern Europe who generally generally weren't Catholic. Shot them for sport. Okay. I mean, if you took the same magnifying glass to other religious groups, Catholicism does really well because uh, they, the minute you were baptized, you had rights. And, you know, right. after Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared in Mexico, they say the priest's arms had to be held up by the, 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 the acolytes as they baptized because they had so many people to baptize. The moment you were baptized, oh, okay. you had rights, and your marriage was respected as sacramental. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, because Protestants did not have sacraments, uh, for instance, with slaves, the, the vow was uh, until death or distance do us part. Catholics right, would never have right. said that. In the Catholic world, even slaves, no matter whether they were Native American slaves or African, uh, African in origin, they had rights. You know, you right, go to right, a Latin right. American country like Brazil and color is unimportant. You go to Puerto Rico right. or Cuba, color is unimportant. Whereas in, right. in, in the United States, a largely Protestant country, color is everything. And I think personally it's ridiculous. Yeah. So if you, yeah, were, if yeah. you were to look at, at non-Catholic groups— with the same magnifying glass, you would be horrified. So, you know, mm. we're just the big dog on the block, and people love to hate us. And, and you know, and, and that's wonderful. Jesus said rejoice when people persecute you. You know, the fact that we're so persecuted now as a religion is wonderful because it means we're yeah. finally doing something right. So, uh, you know, oh, okay. I, I would keep that in mind. So I, 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 okay. I hope that helps. So, you know. Yeah, it does. You know, was it Samuel Johnson, the great English author in the 1700s, said he didn't know how someone could leave the Catholic Church without losing his mind. Because when you went from Protestantism to Catholicism, you lost nothing. You still had Jesus. You still had the Bible. But when you went from Catholicism to to Protestantism, you lost the sacraments. You lost the communion of saints. You lost any kind of oversight. There is universal oversight of the clergy. Whereas in Protestantism, you don't have that. You may have some wonderful ministers, but then you may have some who are just in it for what they can get. Whereas a Catholic priest yeah. who's in it for what he's going to get is going to get caught in the long run and punished by his superiors, God willing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, 
So it's it's. Well, I appreciate you talking to me. Well, I'll, God bless I'll Tasha. To you every every day. I oh, love dear. it. I love it. Oh, you got to get a social. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm honored that you listen, Tasha. God bless you, and may the Lord bless you in your in your struggles to draw closer to Him. God bless. Let's, Thank you. God Bye-bye. bless. Thanks, Tasha. Let's go to John from Redlands, California. Are you with us, John? Yeah, Father, the name of a book for Hanipra Sarah is Journey to the Sun by Gregory Oslower. I believe I believe that's his last name. Journey but, to the uh, Sun. Ooh, sounds yeah, good. It's recommended by it, it was recommended by Patrick Madrid. Oh, it doesn't get better than Patrick Madrid. That's great. Yeah, so it's got every, it's got everything in there. In fact, uh he wrote a uh a Native Americans Bill of Rights. He went to the Viceroy and complained wow. how the soldiers were treating the uh, Native Americans. Oh, he did a whole lot. In fact, the largest group to attend his funeral were Native Americans. Uh, he did right by them. This God whole thing him. about mistreating him was, was just completely false. That's that's wonderful. Journey to the Sun, that's S-U-N or S-O-N? I believe it's S-U-N. Okay. Journey to the Sun, Junipero Serra. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And so many people we didn't get to call tomorrow. Call early and I'll I'll, I'll try to preach uh, more briefly. (laughs) The voice said just call early and often like Chicagoans vote. Nonsense. That's, That's not true, is it?